Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Hey everybody and welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast. We are deep into our ACC under review series. Not too deep. This is only our second episode, but we are very excited about this series, about talking with all these radio guys. And Mac, I just have to add this. I, you can't make this up. Right as I clapped, do you remember I told you about that black cat oh, that no. walks around my house? It's back. This black cat just walked up my front sidewalk and just walked up to my porch. Do you have, it is do you have taunting me right now. <laughs> do you have a bowl of treats out there for it? No. You are a black cat. I don't, mm <laughs> Like, you are a bad luck. Get away. It's like, Mac, we've been sitting here for an hour and a half doing other stuff. The second yeah. I clap and start this episode, this black cat comes up and taunts me. I don't it's, like it. It's your pet. I mean, that's just what it does. No, you I'm not a cat it, person. And it's, here we go. That is scary. I'm yeah, not, I'm not like Keetra Clark. <laughs> Keetra will take that cat immediately. Keetra will uh, take shout him. out being invited to the combine, by the way. Super excited to see uh, what he does there. But anyway, let's get that black cat out of here um, and talk about this upcoming schedule, KG. Because as you mentioned, we are two episodes in right now. ACC under review, the mini series that we're doing. And we did this last year. Guys, we, we, we did it with some writers, some journalists that cover your team. This year, we're doing it with the play-by-play, color analyst, radio network that covers your team and nobody else can. So we're super excited for that, uh, just to help us join in and, and break down each of these team seasons. And who knows the team better than the guy who is literally doing every game on the radio and is there for every press conference and knows the coaches and the players super well. So we're excited about that with all of these teams. We put out Florida State as our first one on Wednesday. Next week, Clemson, Duke, and NC State. So make sure you guys lock in for that. Before we dive into our UNC guest, who is going to tell you everything you need to know about the Tar Heels, we first need to tell you everything you need to know about our new partner, Mac. It is the greatest time of the season. Listen, we thought it was Christmas. We thought it was football. No, it is now because we have a sponsorship, a partnership with Rock'em Socks. Guys, you don't want to miss this. The world's largest sock store ever. Oh, there we go. Kelly's just kind of falling Where from the Where UNC sky. would like to be. Best. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of teams would like the to playoff. be there. Um, but go there. Check it out. Rock'emSocks.com. Shop for over 10,000, guys. 10,000 exclusive different designs. They've got every college team, every pro team, different pro leagues, and a bunch of different entertainment, fun stuff. I've said this every time. I'm a Marvel guy. They have every character on there. Old school, new school, all kinds of fun stuff. You have to check that out. And I love that they have every ACC school, so you can go get your UNC socks. You can stay locked in, and when Josh Downs is drafted, you can go get the socks of whichever team he ends up at. So they've got everything. Go to rock'emSocks.com. Use our code GML20. That's GML20 for 20% off. On one of our recent episodes, that stood for Good Morning Losers. We have taken that away now. It's just GML, <laughs> Graham Lick, Matt Klain, GML20 at rock'emSocks.com. <laughs> to preview UNC, not to preview, to discuss, review is the word, UNC, we're going to be joined by, and I have to say his full name. This is according to wikipedia.com. Monrovi Jones Angel the Fourth. Come on, Also Monrovi. known as Jones Angel, the voice of the Tar Heels. He is the voice of Carolina men's basketball and football. He is the successor to the legendary Woody Durham, and he has been the play-by-play voice since, I believe, 2011. Went to UNC, grew up a massive UNC fan, and was just an awesome resource, Mac. 
we couldn't find anybody better for this episode for this. And Jones knocked it out of the park. This was so much fun. A little behind the curtain. This was actually our first interview. Uh, and, and he set the bar super, yes. super high. So let's talk about the heels. Let's talk with Jones. Here we go. Jones, welcome into the show, my man. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is all about the heels, man. We're excited to have you. Man, excited to be here, and what a great time of year it's been. Football wrapping up, looking forward to what should be a terrific ACC basketball season, too. And I know you guys know this, man. Uh, November, December is a crazy time of year (laughs) with both the sports going on. It's been super busy, but excited to be here with you guys and uh, talk a little Tar Heels. Yeah, and I'm sure it's super busy for you, and and we're going to jump into so many different things with the Heels, but I do want to start there because... Your job, it, it can be a little challenging around that time and, you know, a juggling act between football and basketball. And all right, do, do you ever get numbers confused? You see a guy and you're like, oh, my goodness, get off the basketball court. We're, we're playing football here. I have once or twice, and I did it once this year when I was throwing it to a commercial break. And I think we were doing a basketball game. And I said, you're listening to Carolina football on the Tar Heels. Play. I said, wait a second. You're not listening to Carolina football. You're listening to Carolina basketball. So. You know, it is, uh, it's one of those where it's like cry me a river, right? I, sure, I get to sit sure. there and uh, be there courtside for Carolina basketball and there on site uh, for Carolina football. It's a place that I love. It's a job that I love doing, and uh, I really enjoy it. it. It is a hard time of year. The, sure. the one thing that I, I will say is tough is now I, I almost always have to miss a couple of basketball games just because yeah. football does go later. So, for example, this Not year, uh, yeah, Carolina was in uh, Portland playing in the PK-85, mm. but it was the same weekend that Carolina was playing state in football. Uh-oh. And so couldn't be at both places at one time, so we had to split up our crew a little bit. And I always hate missing games, but uh, sure. especially that late in the year and that important football game, of course right. I'm going to be with our football team. And so – that part's uh, a little tough. I hate missing games, but uh, so much fun. I really enjoy what I get a chance to do. Um, this time of year is a grind, but but it's a grind that I love going through. So yeah. uh, looking forward to it every single season. That, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, let's dive into this football team. I mean, we, we end the season 9-5, and five, winning the last ever Coastal Division. Take your trophy, go home. You don't ever have to give it back. Uh, and, and I know fans you know, aren't excited about the finish, but for a year where – Man, we went into game one. We didn't know who our quarterback was. Uh, I think there's a lot to be proud about. I think there's a lot to be excited about uh, of what these Tar Heels did. So just your overall thoughts on on this football season in 22. Yeah, Eric, something I say a lot is that two things can be true at the same time. So I, I think both these things that I'm about to say are true. One, it was a terrific season in total for Carolina football. Um, for a lot of the reasons that you said, winning the division title. that That's a goal every single year. Obviously, it'll be a little different now with the divisions going away, but every year that there is a coastal division, that is a goal for the Tar Heels is to win that division. The Tar Heels uh, beat Wake Forest. They beat Duke. They beat Virginia. These are all rival teams uh, that Carolina, uh, it's important for Carolina. It's important for Carolina fans to win those games. Came up just short against NC State. Obviously, that was tough, but um, they won a majority of those rivalry contests. That's important. Uh, they found out that they have one of, if not the best quarterback that's ever played at Carolina. At the most, When you have a player to that level, at the most important position on the field, probably the most important position in sports, period, uh, that's a really good thing. So there are a lot of positive things about Carolina football. That is true. It is also true that the Tar Heels were disappointed in how the year ended. 
four straight losses, all of them close games. Uh, the Clemson game got got away late, of course, in the second half. Uh, but certainly Georgia Tech, NC State, and Oregon, uh, games that went down to the final play or final minute or two of the game. And, and that's disappointing. But it's also, that to me is who Carolina was this year. It's nine games for the Tar Heels of the 14 they played. 14 is a bunch of games to play. <laughs> Nine of them were decided by seven points or fewer. Yeah. And Carolina was so good early in the year at winning those games, whether it was Appalachian State or Georgia State out of conference, or whether it was Duke or Miami in conference. They found ways to win those games. Unfortunately for the Tar Heels, they couldn't find ways to make those key plays at the end of the game in some of those games later in the season. So in total, so much to be happy, excited for, positive. A lot of those guys who are key contributors for Carolina this season are coming back next year. Um, so there's a lot positive there. But I also think that last little stretch has allowed Carolina to go, okay, guys, you know what? It's not perfect. We're not there yet. Um, there's still plenty of things to improve on. And, and I think that'll be the focus as they go into this offseason. Jones, Mac brings up Drake May. And yeah. I remember we had Mac Brown on. Uh, before the season, and he said, look, it's a legitimate competition. And yeah. I believe Mac Brown, and Mac always says I, you know, I cater to Mac Brown because I grew up in Austin and all these types of things. <laughs> and, you know, Mac's just the best. But Eric McLean, with his own eyes, was at practice, was doing the road shows, and he said, Drake May's the guy. I mean, Drake May <laughs> sure. is is just different. So when did you realize, Jones, and maybe you realized it before starters were announced, whatever, but what did sure. you see from Drake May going into the year, and, and when did you know he was going to be the guy? Well, I'm going to say I think both things are true here, too, because <laughs> okay. I do think it was a legitimate competition. And, in fact, I, had Carolina played a game in May coming out of spring practice, uh, I think Jacoby Criswell would have been the starting wow. quarterback for Carolina. I, I just think that Jacoby at that point in time uh, was a little more consistent. He had been in the, the program a year longer than Drake had been. And it, it was a competition all throughout spring. But I think at that point, Jacoby was, was a little bit ahead. Uh, but they don't play games in May. And, and what I think Drake May did is continued to work throughout the summer. Uh, he is such a competitive guy, has such a strong worth, uh, work ethic. And not to suggest that Jacoby Criswell did not. But I think Drake just continued to work, continued to get better. And, and then through the first couple weeks of camp, both players were good. Mm -hmm. I think Drake May was a little more consistent with what he was doing. And, and Kelly, to better answer your question, there was Carolina had a scrimmage in Keenan Stadium, I don't remember, maybe a week or two before the first game. And Drake May made a throw where he was moving to his left and threw across his body and just threw an absolute dime down the sideline. Do I think Gavin Blackwell? Uh, for a big play, may even been a touchdown in that scrimmage. And when I saw that, I was like, that that's not a normal play. Like normal, even really good normal quarterbacks, that isn't a normal play that they can make. And so uh, that's the, the moment where I thought, this dude has a chance to be really, really good. I will also say, Jacoby Criswell, who has now entered the transfer portal and, and is going to go to Arkansas, mm -hmm. you, you could not ask for a better teammate and a more mature way to handle a difficult situation than he did for Carolina last year. Because that could have gotten hard. Jacoby Criswell is good enough to start uh, at a lot of ACC schools, at a lot of Power 5 schools. And he's going to get a chance to do that, I hope, at Arkansas. 
Um, he handled himself with such class and because you know he's frustrated. He wants to play. Everybody sure. does. And he was never a disruption. He was always positive. He was always a great teammate. He always prepared as though he was going to go in and, and at any moment and can go and, and be the leader of the team. And I think that helped Drake May. I, I think it helped that they had someone like Jacoby Criswell who was mature enough and uh, handled the situation in a professional way at the college level that that didn't make it difficult. Right. And so um, what a big boost it was for Drake to have somebody quality like that, uh, Jacoby Crusoe. I hope Jacoby has a ton of success uh, down in Arkansas. But uh, it, it's hard to argue. Drake May is, <laughs> as we all saw this past season, is such a talented player. Um, he was a lot of fun to watch. I think now the big challenge for Carolina is help him out a little bit offensively in the run game this upcoming year so he doesn't have to do everything. And if he can, if the Heels can do that, then uh, it could be a really special season for them, I think, offensively. Hey, look, sometimes the, the talent, you know, writes the script. I didn't send yeah. you the script, sure. but we're going to go there in a second. I want to stay on Drake because he's that good of a player here for, for a couple more questions. Um, and then we're going to get to that run game and, and your thoughts on that. When, when I, I saw Drake, Kelly alluded to this, and we had the privilege of going to practice you know, Carolina, you guys had a week zero, so you were a little farther along in practice than some of these other teams. A lot of teams we went to, it was the first or second day, uh, sure. especially at the beginning. But And it was just his composure, his control of the offense. And, you know, we, we go to Mac, of course, and we're joking. Oh, quarterback, who's the guy? Like, tell us who the guy is. And then, you know, we get to see practice. And, you know, I told him, I said, oh, I know who the guy is. Like, it's it's Ted. <laughs> like, he is the guy. And he's like, well, I don't know. We got to see this. And, you know, maybe it was just a, a great day, you know, for Drake, you know, that particular time. But then we come right back for, with you guys. We're there at week zero, and I see him take these steps just each and every time I turn on the tape. And, and I told KG this. I, I said, he's going to be a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. A couple yeah. weeks later, I said, he's going to be the pick. Like, he's going to be the guy if he just stays healthy. When, I guess, did you know that, where there th- this is at a different level? Like, I know we just had Sam Howell, and he's amazing, and he's, you know, starting this week in the NFL. Uh, all these great things, but and we've had Trubisky, uh, but this guy's a little different. Like he, he's a little bit different than than maybe all of them. When did you maybe know that? And, and maybe you don't. Maybe he still has a couple of things to prove. Yeah, isn't it funny? So I mean, Carolina's been really fortunate since I'm going to go all the way back, guys, to like 2006. Carolina's had some really good quarterbacks, yeah. and Carolina hadn't always been really good every single year. But for the most part, they've had some really good quarterbacks in that stretch from T.J. Yates to Bryn Renner, to Marquise Williams, to Mitch Trubisky, to Sam Howell, uh, to now Drake May. They, they've had some really good players at that position. And so for us to be talking about the fact that Drake May, and I think legitimately talking about the fact that Drake May may be a step above all those gentlemen that I just mentioned, it is a credit to him and, and what he's been able to do. Um, one of the things that was so impressive to me about Drake is that he was the least impressed of anybody of what he was doing. And I remember it was after the Appalachian State game, I'd gone down to the locker room area to talk to Coach Brown, and it was a dramatic game, and it was that wild game where you know, Carolina gave up 40 points in the fourth quarter, and it was just a, you know, it was crazy. And But the Tar Heels still found a way to win. And so it was a little bit hectic down there, and um, I was able to, after talking to Coach Brown, I, I grabbed Drake to, to just do a quick hit with us on the radio network, after the game, and you know, I said something like, "Oh, Drake, you know what a what a crazy game." What something? something. And he was like, "Oh, well, you know, we this and that, and you know, I got to get a little bit better in this, and I missed this throw in the third quarter." And it was like, "Whoa, well, what are you talking about? Like, you just you just helped Carolina win this incredible game where you made some wild throws." And he 
it's just he expects it. He he expects that to happen because he's put in the work to do it, and he is just he's not impressed that it is happening. And I'm sure Coach Brown has said this to you guys because I've heard him say it many times. It's almost like Drake May was was meant to be the quarterback of the University of North Carolina. Uh, I mean, we we know the history with his with his parents here at Carolina, and his dad was a terrific quarterback in, in the '80s. We know, of course, his brother's Bo is currently a walk-on on the basketball team, as you know. We know what Luke did here. And so it's just all of it. It's the competitive nature of his of his household growing up. It's the fact that his dad knows the game and can help him uh, from a young age to, to be fundamentally sound. And it's the it's the drive that he has. It's all of it that that has really separated Drake May. And then, Eric, you know, that, I mean, when you add it on top of that crazy physical ability that he has, I mean, he's 6'5", he can run, his arm is strong enough. I know there's a little bit of talk about his arm strength. I, I, it's strong enough to make all the throws. It, he is, if you could draw up a quarterback, I, I just feel like it's him. He's got the size, the legs, the the ability to read the field, the off-the-field stuff, the, the respect of his teammates. I, I did a 30-minute interview kind of like this on a podcast with him several months ago, and I think he set the record for saying, yes, sir, during that interview. He, it, that's just who he is. It's almost too good to be true, uh, but fortunately for the Tar Heels, it, it is reality. Uh, he is a terrific player. It is. It's, it's very true, Jones. And <laughs> So one more on Drake May because you bring up how sure. Carolina he is through and through. Mm-hmm. And we see all the rumors after the ACC championship, before the bowl, is Drake May going to transfer? And, uh, you know, I, I love the NIL numbers because I think they're all blown out of proportion. Will he get a billion dollars to go to Nebraska <laughs> or whatever? In your mind, did, did you ever, were you ever concerned that he would leave just because of how Carolina Blue he is? If his last name was Angel or McLean or something else, I, I think I would have been concerned. And this is a much larger discussion that we can or can't have about where we are in college athletics and uh, the fact that I absolutely do believe that there's tampering occurring um, with with teams uh, contacting players and and trying to fill holes. You know, as they, Mac Brown jokes all the time that, you know, after the game, you're not going to shake hands with the other coach. You're going to shake hands with the wide receiver who just had eight catches and 150 yards against you or whatever. Um, So I, I do believe that had Drake May not had the deep roots with Carolina, that it would have been a dicier mm-hmm. situation um, for the Tar Heels. I also believe it would have been really difficult for Drake May to leave simply because he does have those that deep connection to the program mm-hmm. and he genuinely loves the place. I think that's the other thing, too, is that he does genuinely enjoy being here. Having said that, we, we have seen instances where I don't think guys necessarily wanted to leave somewhere, but the financial opportunity yep. that they were going to end up having somewhere else was just too great to pass up, right. and we can all understand that. Um, but I do think that the familial ties, the deep roots that Drake may had, uh, made it a long shot for him to leave. Yeah. Um, it, it, just, it, it just wouldn't have been right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think Carolina... Uh, it's another reason why, to me, next year is so important is you have a generational quarterback that that is here and I'm guessing is going to be his last year in Chapel Hill because he can go, of course, to the NFL after next season. Um, so you, you have this opportunity with this player 
that doesn't come along very often. And so that that's another reason why this upcoming season, to me, is such a big one for the Tar Heels. Yeah, yeah vital. I mean, just, just to see when you have that much talent and and to get it twice, uh, you know, what, what can you do with it? And there's going to be some adversity in that. There's some changes and some personnel changes, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But um, he, he's just such a special player on the field, off the field, all those examples that you just put out. It, it's fun that he's in our conference. It's great that he's at – Carolina and, and the family lineage, all those things are, are super cool. You brought up the run game. Let, let's jump into that because that is a spot that preseason I was excited about. I mean, I saw Amarion Hampton. I, I saw, you know, these young cats in that room. I'm like, whoa, like this, they didn't have this last year, literally. I mean, he's a freshman. He just walked on campus. This is going to be a real shiny, you know, piece here. And then it just wasn't, you know, riddled with injury the entire room at different times. Adversity strikes there. Different guys are having to step up. Maybe guys aren't ready. Force kind of into action there. I, I thought we certainly would see more from from Hampton, but we we just didn't. So, it, from your perspective, being with the team each and every week, you know what happened to that room? Yeah, it, it was uh, injuries happened. Number one, yeah, I mean British Brooks, uh, the the veteran player for Carolina, uh, was slated to be the starter in the preseason before this past mm-hmm. year, um, and he got hurt in training camp. Having said that, I I still think British is a very good player. I think he would have ended up sharing carries, even if he had been the starter uh, for Carolina this, this season, just because there were so many good guys behind him. Uh, Caleb Hood is somebody that the Carolina coaches have long thought could be a really special player at that running back position. He just has a really unique combination of power, balance, vision. He was a high school quarterback. Um, so he he's just a unique player that they have really thought could be an outstanding guy. And he was starting to show that, and then he got hurt and, and just couldn't go anymore, had to have surgery uh, on an upper body injury, and unfortunately was lost for the year. So number one, they, they lost some guys who they thought were going to be key contributors in that room. Um, you mentioned Amarian Hampton and also George Petaway. The, those two guys were, I, they really jumped out to me during training camp as well, but they're freshmen. And, and I do think that sometimes you just you don't quite know how freshmen are going to react, not just game to game, but when you're asking them to do it from week zero to week 14, in this instance for Carolina, in a long year. So Amari Hampton had two games where he rushed for over 100 yards earlier in the season, but I think as the year went on, as you get into the grind of the middle of the season, that is a change for a guy who had been in high school the year before. And so uh, can you keep up with those details? Can you protect the football? Can you do all those small things other than just hit the hole and go get me 12 yards? Um, so I, I think as time went on, Elijah Green uh, got an opportunity to step up and was very solid for Carolina. He was not outstanding, wasn't tremendous, but he was very solid, protected the football, pass protected well, caught the ball out of the backfield, etc. Um, but where Carolina really lacked is I didn't, th- if the play was blocked for four yards, Carolina got four yards. If the play was blocked for one yard, Carolina got one yard. And so I that's think a great that's, point. that's where, a great point. Yeah. I, I, I think this off season for Carolina, the challenge is a, let's block the plays for not four yards, but 40 yards. And then can you find the guy that can just turn a three yard run into a 33 yard run because he's just that good. I, I mean, Gio Bernard was that way mm-hmm. at Carolina. Michael Carter and Javante Williams were that way 
at Carolina where, it, yeah, you block the play and there's going to be a certain amount of yards that you should be able to get. And then you just let the guy go be a dude and let him go try to get you some more after that. I do think Carolina was lacking in that regard this season as those young backs. And Elijah Green was a young back, too, just a sophomore. As those young guys get through another offseason, get through another weightlifting, you know, just all that stuff. Um, I'll be interested to see if if they can find some more explosive players in that run game. Um, Mac Brown has said it multiple times after the season ended that with the change at offensive coordinator, with the change at the offensive line coach for the Tar Heels, job number one is to be able to run the ball more physically in the red zone and to be able to run the yeah. ball more effectively yes. when the other team knows you're going to run it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, a lot of that is is getting those yards after what the play is blocked for. You could not have said it better, literally, Jones. And we've talked about explosive plays and the name of the game in college football now is, is being as explosive as you can on offense. And I think UNC was able to do that in the passing game pretty substantially, but yeah. in the running game, that was a little bit of a different story. Speaking of the passing game, you lose a guy like Josh Downs, even though there was a little bit of a, a blessing in disguise in that you had to play without him some this year. So other guys stepped up, but it's never good to lose Josh Downs. So who do you, how do you fill that hole? How do you fill the Josh Downs hole? Who do you expect to step up in the in the receiving game. Yeah, look, I mean, Josh Downs was one of the most product, uh, productive wide receivers Carolina has ever had. I mean, his year a, a season ago, he set single-season records in receptions and in yards, and had he played in the bowl game, I think he would have been uh, right there again, uh, especially in the yardage total uh, for Carolina this season. So just a terrific player, terrific competitor, and somebody that you, you don't lose a player like Josh Downs and not feel it mm. a little bit. He, he was just too good. Um, but Carolina does have some young guys there that I think have played very well, uh, particularly Kobe Pesor. He, he was somebody who early in the season in those games against Appalachian and against Georgia State when Josh Downs didn't play, Pesor stepped up and really played well. He played well in the bowl game, had a long touchdown catch, almost 100 yards in that game against Oregon as well. Um, so to me, he is a name that, that will need to take a step forward and has proven um, in his limited opportunities that he is somebody that can step into that into that role. Uh, they have some young, you know, J.J. Jones was a second-year player this year, first time as a full-time starter. Uh, you're, they're looking for a step from him. J.J. was solid. Can he be a difference maker? Gavin Blackwell, a young player who, again, when he got opportunities, solid. Can he become take that step to become a real difference maker out on the field? I mean, it's also worth noting that Antoine Green is gone for Carolina in that wide receiver core two uh, or as well. And he was a dynamic player on the outside. So when you had him on the outside, Josh Downs, who they moved around a lot, but of course played in the slot primarily, uh, those were two dynamic players. So they're trying to replace two guys. Um, now, they've also gone heavy in the transfer portal, and they've brought, uh, brought in two really good players. Uh, Nate McCollum from Georgia Tech, uh, we saw what he was able to do with the Jackets, had a terrific season. He is somebody that I think uh, certainly is expected to step in and play a role. Uh, I think it's Kenneth Walker from Kent State uh, uh, is coming in as well. Uh, terrific player, really top-end speed. I think he was clocked at, I saw something like 22 or 23 miles an hour uh, this year. I remember Mac Hollins, the fastest ever. He Mac clocked in at 25 miles an hour Jeez. one time in a practice <laughs> oh on a GPS uh, when he was here at Carolina. Um, but uh, Walker, you know, you're running 23 miles an hour. That's something. So, uh I think he will play a big role for the Tar Heels this year as well. They have a couple freshmen coming in, too. So 
they have plenty of guys who have had opportunities um, and have started to bank some significant snaps. Carolina also, I thought this year, did a really good job effectively using the tight end position. Yes. You know, Bryson Nesbitt's a, a really unique talent. Um, he, he is a hybrid type of player, not maybe just a little too big to truly be a wide receiver, mm-hmm. needs to get a little bit better in the blocking game to truly be a tight end, but you can move him around and, and have him do so many different things. So I think he and John Copenhaver, uh, who's a little bit more of a, a more traditional tight end, uh, are guys that will be involved in that pass game as well. But I think the good news, Kelly, for Carolina is that I just named a bunch of guys, right? So, I mean, th- there are – and Andre Green. I, yes. I feel to mention Andre. Who I was going to get him. Really, I was going to yeah, get him. <laughs> was a really high-talented freshman. Carolina, uh, with the depth that had at wide receiver this year, we're going to redshirt him. So he he did play in the bowl game because he got the exemption to be able to play in the bowl game and still keep his redshirt. He is somebody I think will will be heavily involved as well. So the point of this is that's a lot of names uh, of guys who have at times stepped up. Now it becomes like we were talking about with the running backs. Can it be not just a game or a half? Can you be the guy for 12 games in the regular season? And we'll start to figure that out as they go through the year next year. Yeah, man, I, I can't wait to see it. All those names. I mean, that you just are, are rattling off. It's just, man, I know Drake's excited. I know they're excited. I mean, to have that many weapons, it, it, it does so many different things. Number one, you can't double team anybody, you know, because you have sure. all these different guys. So everybody's going to eat. And then number two, it, it, it takes the pressure off of you as a wide receiver where I'm sure Josh felt it last year where I've got to be the guy. I've got to make this catch. I have to do this. I have to do all these things. Now it's like, okay, we, we have a unit. We feel really good about where we are. And just the the work that nobody sees is going to be the most important. You know, those guys getting in the in the film room, staying after practice, getting the extra reps. I mean, that that can it's something that we'll know right away. I mean, even in spring ball, how how good these guys are. So I'm excited to see that. Um, let's go over to the defensive side of the ball because that was a unit that certainly had its bright spots, won a couple of games, game-winning interceptions. I, I remember the Duke game. I remember the Miami game, the, the kind of game-sealing things that, that you know that side did. But certainly there, there were more where you're just like, God, if we could just get more from this side of the ball, we feel mm-hmm. so good. Um, so I, I guess just what, what has to change in your opinion and just week in and week out to see a more consistent defensive side you know, of the ball there? The answer to this question, guys, is Carolina has to be more disruptive defensively. So there's 131 teams that play FBS football. Going into the bowl game, Carolina was ranked 130th out of the 131 teams in tackles for loss as far as total and per game, and they were 127th in sacks as far as total and per game. That's the answer. You you can do, you can have the perfect scheme, you can be in the right position, you can do everything right. But if you're not being disruptive defensively, then it's hard, I think, especially in today's football, it's hard to be successful. You have to get the other team behind the chains. You have to make these quarterbacks make plays on the move with pressure in their face. These guys are too good now. It, all these camps and the sevens on se- seven on seven, they're too good now. You can't let them sit back there and throw the football. And so for the Tar Heels, to me, that is answer number one. You know, Brian Simmons uh, does the games with me on the Tar Heels Sports Network. Brian was All-America linebacker at Carolina. 
he was part of those teams in the late 1990s where when Mac Brown was here the first time, whose defenses were just incredible. Played 10 years in the NFL. It drives Brian crazy that the Carolina can't get to the quarterback more often. And I do think that Tar Heel's got this reputation of, oh, they never blitz, they're never aggressive. I don't think that's true. I just think Carolina's aggressiveness, when they did try to be, wasn't successful. And so you got to find ways to do two things. Of course, every football team in the history of football wants to get pressure on the quarterback with only rushing four guys. Can Carolina find that edge rusher, that guy who, you know what, the Julius Peppers, the, the Robert Quinns. Whoa, Julius Peppers, just, let's go find him. Yeah, where is he? Yeah, it's, it, that's easy to do, right, Eric? Can, can, uh, can you find that type of player who, hey, yeah. they're blocking him and he's just too good. He's just going to beat you one out of every three times, even if you block it right because he's that yeah. good. Do you, and they've gone to the, uh, the transfer portal, try to get some edge help there from, from Florida State, so we'll see. And um, they're recruiting well on the defensive line. Can you get that person or persons that can do that? And then secondarily, when you blitz, when you do get aggressive, are you able to get home? And I don't think Carolina was able to do either one of those things mm -hmm. consistently, effectively enough this year to be good on the defensive side. Yeah. I will say, at some point this season, Mac Brown said, and I know he did because he's told this story, he went to Gene Chizik and said, get good at something. He said, get good at something so that then we'll live with what else, what we got to fix. And so Carolina focused really hard at being better against the run. And I do think you saw that as the year went on. Carolina got a little better against the run. That doesn't mean they didn't give up some long runs. They did in the bowl game against Oregon, for example. But on a, on a down-in, down-out basis, Carolina was better against the run as the year went on. They struggled, in my opinion, against the pass. And you saw that even in bowl games, guys who had success against Carolina, like Cade Klubnick from Clemson, like Ben Finley from NC State late in the year, those guys didn't have as much success when, when they went and played somebody else. Yeah. And so I, I think for the Tar Heels, they did some good things defensively. They did get better. There's no question. They didn't give up 40 points in a quarter after, the, after that game against Appalachian. That's good. So uh, they did get better. They did get better against the run. But there has to be growth in that ability to be disruptive so that you can throw off the timing of the pass game more often. That has to be the number one job, in my opinion, for the Tar Heel defense. Yeah, that's, that's well said. Jones, it feels like you know this team really well. Um, so <laughs> I hope so. We, I hope yeah, so. your insight has been excellent here. Let's uh, just speaking of kind of getting to know this team as we're looking ahead to 2023, Chip Lindsey comes in. New offensive coordinator yeah. for North Carolina. I know it's very early, but what what do you expect from him, Jones? You know, I haven't gotten a chance outside of about a six minute conversation in the hotel in San Diego at <laughs> uh, the Holiday Bowl uh, to talk to Chip Lindsey very much. Um, but what he said in that conversation is what he has said some publicly, and what Mac Brown has said some publicly, which is this is not a Carolina offense that needs an overhaul. Uh, this is not, you're not coming in and going, look, it has not been good. They haven't been able to move the ball and we got to, we got to put in a brand new system. And Chip Lindsay's very aware of that. He, he said, he said, look, the pass game is where Carolina wants it to be. He said, I'd be silly to come in here and try to change things of what they're doing with their passing concepts and how they have attacked that area. It's been pretty consistently good now through multiple quarterbacks and through multiple years since Phil Longo came in and installed this offense. Mm -hmm. And so, 
I, I don't expect to see Carolina doing very much differently in that pass game. There, there's no reason to do that. That doesn't mean there's not going to be some tweaks and changes. Of course, there will be, but I think the overall concept stays the same. Uh, the, the question, again, comes in the run game. And even saying that, guys, like three years ago in 2020, Carolina had incredible running attack with Michael Carter and Javante Williams, but both those guys now play on Sundays. Even last year, you know, Ty Chandler, who's on the roster with the Minnesota Vikings, had over 1,000 yards and, and was a really good back. So I don't think the run game is necessarily broken in some way for Carolina. What I do think needs to happen is a little bit what we discussed earlier, is find the right combination of guys with the ball in their hands that can be more explosive, and they have plenty of good options, and I do think Carolina's got to get better up front. For, for whatever reason, the last two seasons, Carolina's offensive line has not been as good as the Tar Heels would like it to be. And you've seen it in different areas. They gave up so many sacks uh, two years ago in Sam Howell's final year. Um, those sack numbers started to get a little higher as this year went along. And, and we've talked about the challenges in the run game. So I do think that they've got to find a way in that running attack uh, to be more, I'm going to use the word physical again. And I know that it's hard to define it. It's hard to say, you know, that this is this is how you do it. But Carolina's got to figure out a way to get better in that regard. And, and there was a lot of discussion about the red zone this year for Carolina. Carolina was so good uh, through the Wake Forest game in the red zone. Not just scoring, but scoring touchdowns. They, they were top uh, 20 in the nation, I think 10 in the nation in scoring touchdowns. They were at something like 75% touchdowns scored when they were in the red zone. Georgia Tech, NC State, Clemson, Oregon, the four games they lost at the end, they had trouble scoring in total and scoring touchdowns in the red zone. They had to settle for more field goals in which they, they – and to me, it came down to they were unable to run the ball as effectively in the red zone where the other team knows that you're more likely to run it. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, that, to me, to answer your question, Kelly, that's where Chip Lindsey and Randy Clements, the new offensive line coach for Carolina, that's where the focus is, is how do you run the ball more effectively in the red zone? How do you run the ball more effectively with some physicality so that you're not asking Drake May? And there's going to be some games where Drake May has to throw it 45 times to win, but you don't want it to be every single time. And so that, to me, is, is the real challenge for the new offensive group uh, coaching-wise at Carolina. And I'm sure what is uh, what is on their mind right now is you and I are talking. Come on, man. That, that was great. This was such a fun conversation. Before we get you out of here, I, I just want to talk a little expectation because when you do have a quarterback that is as good as Drake is, who I think you know next year is, is one or two, it's him or Caleb Williams, however you want to look at him. Sure. I know Caleb just won the Heisman, so he probably by default gets the nod. Um, but but what what is the expectation with no divisions, new schedule, heels back in Charlotte, heels competing for a, a playoff spot? What what to you is realistic of what this team should be able to do next season? It's a great question. I will say Carolina's schedule is is difficult. You know they have South Carolina in Charlotte in a neutral site game early right now. As the schedule stands right now, that would be the season opener. Uh, they have Minnesota. Uh, coming to Chapel Hill, that's a home-and-home home, uh, with the Golden Gophers, so that is a, a challenging game as well. I know, and with the changes in the ACC schedule, I may miss this. I know they go to Clemson. I know that for a fact <laughs> yeah. uh, next year. So uh, obviously in, in terms of ACC play, it's not going to get any more challenging than that road trip. So they, they do have some very challenging games on the schedule. 
Having said that, I, I think Carolina feels like it is a team that should be competing for a place in the ACC championship mm-hmm. game next year. And I understand there's a lot of really good teams in the conference, but you have your quarterback returning. You have some key pieces returning at the skill positions that we talked about. You are needing them to take steps forward, but you're not asking guys who have never been here before to, to step right. in. Um, and even defensively, where there were some challenges, I also think you're now going to be in year two under Gene Chizik. Uh, you're the heartbeat of that defense is Cedric Gray. Yeah, he has uh, has said he is going to return. He is a terrific player. Um, so you you have some really important pieces back. Um, th- there's no question. Carolina has gone from not very good to good with Mac Brown here. There, there's no question. Uh, they won five games total in the two previous seasons before Mac Brown got here. They've taken that step. The question now is, can you take the step from being good to great? And, and Carolina's had some chances to do that. The Oregon game was a chance to say, hey, you know what? We're starting to take that step. The ACC championship game was a, an opportunity to say, hey, we're starting to take that step. And they haven't been able to do it. So to me, that question is, Carolina's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Can, can Carolina go from good to great? Yeah. And that's the question to me uh, for me next year with the target. There we go. Man, this was so much fun. Again, appreciate your time. The insight was ex- uh, just amazing to chat with you and uh, excited for the heels. We're, we're both excited for them in 23. So appreciate you very much. Oh, man, thanks so much for y'all's time. Always appreciate it. It's always a pleasure talking. You guys do such great work. I really appreciate you having me on, and hope we can do this again uh, next season. Thanks again to Jones Angel IV for joining us here on our UNC Under Review episode. The fact that he was able to talk football like that during basketball season, coming straight from a Hubert Davis press conference, just shows how good that guy is. And I, I thought his breakdown specifically when he was talking, when he was really putting on his his analyst hat and saying the big difference for UNC next year is going to be, can they be more explosive? Can they get 14 yards on a play where you're supposed to get four because they're running the ball better and they're blocking better? And I think a lot of it comes down to the run game, Mac, and taking that pressure off Drake May. Can those young players emerge at the running back position? But, I mean, Jones was just awesome. And I think the expectations, he said, can they go from good to great? That is the big question with UNC. And, and I think he laid out the blueprint of, of how they can do that. You know, the, the run game, essential. You can't have your quarterback running 180 different times. Like, that, that's just, let's limit that. If we could cut that, you know, by, by a, a half's probably too much, but two-thirds. If he can just do two-thirds of that, maybe that's a really good spot to be in. And And then... The defense, I mean, we all know that's a huge piece of this thing. That that was the Achilles heel from game one for this team. Game zero, week zero. We, we knew that that was going to be a, a problem there, and, and how can they fix it? He said, well, you got to get pressure up front. You have to be able to blitz the quarterback. You have to be able to pressure the quarterback, stop you know, runs for losses, get the team behind the chains, and then we can, you know, we can be in a good spot. Much easier said than done. He acknowledged that. I acknowledge that. We understand that it, it's not just something that happens overnight. But it needs to happen quickly, you know, for this team and for them to get in a really good spot for next year. KG, you mentioned it, man, just such a tone setter Jones was for us. Yeah. Uh, was so much fun. Really appreciated his insight, his time, of course. Uh, and, and really just not the – I'm interested to see how everyone else does because you, you, you are Florida State. You are Clemson. You are North right. Carolina X team. How, can you take it away and, and say this is what, you know, needs to be done? Jones killed it, did a great job. Super grateful for, for him and his time. But that's it for this episode. Tar Heels, we put a bow on it. All about the future now. Excited for 23 and spring ball and summer and 
fall camp coming up. But thank you guys so much tuning in to, uh, to Gramlick and Mac Lane, another great episode. If you're in your car right now, you got SiriusXM, check that out. Once you get out of your car, I need you to mash the subscribe button. We need you to follow us on YouTube. Go over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe there as well. Always great to hear from you guys. But until next time, we'll see y'all.